welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Eat Sleep Podcast Repeat. My name is Dave Taylor. Thanks for hanging out with us for this edition. This is going to be the best of 2020, the interviews we've done throughout the year. And uh, we appreciate you uh, listening to us for over 180 episodes of ESPR. FM 99 and 106.9, the Fox's only wrestling podcast. And we've been doing this for over three and a half years. And again, we, we appreciate you listening. And uh, there's many ways you could find us, uh, however you did it. Maybe you found us on uh, one of those uh, major podcast apps like TuneIn, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or maybe uh, uh, Apple, um, however you listen to us, or maybe it's on Spotify. If you can leave us a review, that would be great. We would appreciate it. You can find us on the websites, uh, fm99.com and 1069fox.com. Find us under the media tab. We also have social media, a Facebook and a Twitter page, ESPR99. And also, you can email us, ESPR at FM99.com, and uh, share us your thoughts. Looking back at 2020, uh, we will have a, a full show looking back at 2020 coming up in the next couple of days. But we want to give you some of the highlights that uh, Sean and I have been a part of for 2020. And uh, this episode is going to feature interviews that we did with Sergeant Slaughter, Mick Foley, uh, we even had a little boogeyman on the show, uh, Kim Dilla, who does wardrobe work for wrestlers and uh, not only WWE, but also AEW as well. And uh, she worked, uh, did the outfit for The Fiend. So she got that story coming up. And so without further ado, kicking off the show, the guest that we had in the studio, live in the studio with us, Mick Foley. We know that you follow the current stuff. Uh, yeah, we yeah. Both, we will follow you online. Not as closely as I used to, but right. I still I keep you know try to keep my fingers on the pulse of what's going on. Right. And I mean, one of the things you've been outspoken on is your uh, admiration, your, your how how much you like Drew McIntyre. Yeah, I do like, like Drew. Yeah, just won the Royal Rumble. We had the pleasure of speaking with him what a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago, or something yeah. like that. We had we had to talk to him. So before all that, and. Uh, for you personally, when you see somebody like Drew, who has really busted his ass for such a long time, left, went out and kind of did the independent thing on his own, yeah. re- reworked his whole style, and then came back, and now you see where he is. Does that, I don't know, does it kind of reaffirm yeah. the business to you again? It does. I think it's really inspirational, yeah. and it almost sets a whole new model for what a guy can do when they leave the company. And I remember telling... Um, Big cast, mm-hmm. you know, he was kind of down because he left and he was asking for advice. I said, go catch up on what Drew McIntyre is doing in Insane Championship Wrestling in uh, Scotland mm-hmm. because he is reinventing himself to the point where I actually drew, you know, it's not like we were close friends. I always right. liked Drew, you know, and I actually, actually I got a kick out of the 3MB thing. You know? Yes, I did too. But when he was getting the uh, the big push as the chosen one, he looked still looked like a boy. You mm-hmm. know, he was a very handsome young man, had a great physique, but he still looked like a boy. And I would have thought, hey, you know, he should be happy to have this 3MB thing. It's fun. People like it. I was upset when they were released. I thought that was a good gimmick. Right. And so I always liked Drew, but I wouldn't have considered myself like a close friend. And so I was a little surprised when, as soon as he left, he he, he got in touch with me and he said, look, um, if you have the chance, I'd really appreciate it if you watch this video. He said, I know there's a little bit of swearing in there, but it's an <laughs> over 18 crowd. And it was like I was watching a different human being. He came back to ICW. The first thing I did, and I don't text I don't text Hunter much. I don't bother them with, yeah. with suggestions. But I was like, Hunter, I know this guy just left. You, you should keep your eye on Drew McIntyre. And I think I even said he's like an entirely different human being. 
And uh, he just worked his butt off. He reinvented himself. He came back, and now he look. He's like he's still a good-looking guy, but he's a man, you know. Yes, absolutely. And I think I know this shouldn't make a difference to the fact that he allows the hair to grow in his chest. Like that <laughs> separates him, you know. Agreed. It's like man, he's like, you know, I would not have predicted Drew winning, but it was one of those things. I don't think anybody predicted Drew's winning, but it just one of these things that clicked is making total sense. Like, yeah. this makes sense. This is a match I want to see. Uh, by virtue of Brock looking indestructible for the first, you know, he threw out 13 people. And then Drew not only eliminates him, but with authority. And then Brock was down. He didn't hop up like it was yes. a fluke. And it's like, this guy can go toe-to-toe. He's not afraid of him. He's not intimidated. And I think already Mania is shaping up. I think... Uh, uh, we I think we were concerned that we we're going to see Charlotte and Becky again, mm-hmm. and you know the, the, the two amazing workers, and you know I think the world of Becky's one of my my closest friends, but we've all seen that. And right. then uh, I was on the road, I was in D.C. doing my show, but when I came home, I took a look at what's going on. I was like, Wow, Rhea Ripley yes. just challenged yeah. Charlotte, man. You know, like, and uh, I saw someone, you know. Do a write up saying that that's a step down for her to go down and challenge. They're like, no, no, it's not. Like, I think you'll find a few million people who will disagree with yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's always a chance they'll throw a third person in there. Uh, I hope not. I like yeah. the singles matches, uh, but that's a dynamite match. And so, and I think we'll have Becky finding a new, you know, a different challenge. And uh, so right away, I see two main event marquee matches that make me want to watch that show. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Do you think it's probably uh, Shayna Baszler? Is that the Maybe so, yeah. You I know, mean, and that, I, think pe- back, I think people would really like that. If Ronda came back, I still think that was the match. With all due respect to Charlotte, I still think that singles match is what people wanted to see. And I think they would want to see it. You know, Becky's so good. Uh, on the microphone and her social media really engages people. Like if Becky Lynch leaves wrestling, if she doesn't land a job with a Fortune 500 company, like <laughs> leading their social media, like uh, I think the world is her oyster at this point. You mentioned that you were friends with her. Has and obviously she's became a star. What was like her? mindset before all this happened i mean was she down or did she just have the drive and like the she was you know i mean i i i asked her to be okay if i bring these things up you know because these are text messages and confidence but it's like i go back and i look at text messages where she's thinking of calling it a day you know yeah really so i remember her asking me for advice and one of the things i said i said be patient and be ready you never know when that break is going to come and uh, man, when it when it arrived, it reminded me of the response that Drew received when he, when he when he gave the boot to Brock, yeah. And then more importantly, when he won the Rumble, and it was like this makes total sense. This is what I want. He he built up all this credibility with the WWE universe over the last what three or four years, right? And it made total sense. The same way that when Becky turned on Charlotte, it just was like yes. This is what we want for her. And when people were, t- I was watching it, you know, with a few friends, and they thought the fans were chanting, "You deserved it at Charlotte." Oh. And they were like, "Why are they down in Charlotte?" I said, no, I think they're saying you deserve it to Becky. And they right. said, "Why?" I said, "Because I think they realize this is going to be big," and and, and it was.
Little Boogeyman, who we saw a couple of times in WWE. Uh, he uh, came. He had two different stints. Uh, one before he was like he was Little Booker T. Then he came back as Little Boogeyman. Uh, he did a live interview with us uh, during our uh, Facebook uh, webcast. You can check it out. That interview here. When you when you got the call the first time to do um, Booker T or Little Booker T, I, I think it was like two thousand one. Where were you wrestling at the time? And, and like, did you when you got the call? Did you you know think it was a real call? Did you think you were being pranked or? What, what went no, down? When when I got that call, and it was like, hey, because um, I was actually watching wrestling, you know, I was watching it, so I was like, I was like, oh wow, Lil Booker T, man, that I I, I play him, I you know, I, I said I'll, I'll take that gimmick, I'll right. take that gimmick. I said because normally he comes out the locker room with some dress slacks on, he he doesn't have a shirt on yet, or he might be halfway buttoned up. And, you know, with some chains on and he's, you know, Tony Schiavone, you know, or telling whoever at the time was commentating, um, you know, you tell him hey, what, what, what he, how he felt. So I said, yeah, OK, I'll take that gimmick. I said, oh, man, I, I, I take that all day. So got the call, <laughs> flew out to Sacramento and um, we, we rehearsed and we was going through our, you know, we went over the storyline. And, you know, and obviously, if you see, if you go back, I worked with The Rock in the ring. Yeah. And that, yeah, and that, and that was an honor. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, the funny thing about that, there's two funny things about that. When we, when they told me to go into The Rock's room, you know, because Rock had his own room, and we were going over the match, Pat Patterson was, uh, was like, hey, we want to get the high spot. And I don't know if you guys, how far back y'all go and watch wrestling, yeah. but the high spot for little people were like going underneath the legs, bite right. them on the bum, and do the little silly, you know, round and round and round the thing go. And, oh, that's he, 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 ha, ha, that was so funny. Uh, oh, man, that was the best. It was hilarious. Uh, nah, it, you know, it was, nah, I never liked it. I, I never liked it because I wanted to be seen more serious, you know, than, than he, he, ha, ha. Because if we would have been seen more serious, I think from the start, we would have had a better career and more longevity. We we were we brought we were brought in like for um from for hee hee ha ha. So it was comic never uh, yeah, comic, and it never really got to see the the value of of a little person wrestler. Like hey, they can wrestle and they can also talk. I can talk with the best of them, but I never got that opportunity. You know, so I had to like, you know, you just you didn't say anything, you know, you you just never had no mic time to show your mouthpiece skills. So, you know, it really that's where I was up and down with wrestling. But with the Booker T, um, we were in the room, we were talking and Pat Patterson asked about if I could do. Uh, Rooney? uh no, no. He no. he wanted to know if I could do the the the, the biting on the bum, and uh, oh. and, and Dwayne the, the Rock was like pissed. He was pissed, and he went through his little spiel, and you could see on his face that I'm not playing right now. And he says, "I'm not gonna make a mockery out of him nor myself. We're gonna make sure this it's gonna be a good match. We're gonna put this together. And if anybody has a problem with that, you tell him to come see Dwayne." And when he said that. My whole body on the inside, my essence on the inside was like this. <laughs> but my essence on the outside was like this. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, he just, don't tell me he just said that. <laughs> tell me he didn't just say that. So I was like, <clears throat> I was like, yes, yes. And then, you know, and I, and I was high-fiving myself on the inside, like, yeah. I said, I would point and like, yeah, what y'all think? Yeah, yeah, you know, I was, I was all excited because I just liked the way the rock handled that. And that that never happened in our in our match. And what I do regret is that I had my little wind up because you know we're going way back. We're going to 2000, 2001. I had my little Kodak wind up <laughs> in my pocket. And, and I was waiting for that moment to be able to bring it out, you know, and be like, hey, Rock, what's going on, man? Can we get this? It was just too much going on. And that 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 camera if we would have just had camera camera phones then yeah it would have you know because it would have just been like hey rock can i get a quick one real quick and click click selfie but the pulling that out the going over there and posing and doing all of this stuff and making sure you're winding it up make sure the flash is on that's too much that's too much and i didn't want to ask him that because i didn't want him to think that i was marking up right and he was like, yo, I just saved you over here. I just saved you over here, dude. You know, be happy. Let's go sit down now. Don't, you know, it's not a two for one here. It's not a two for one. You know, I, I took care of you. Go sit down. So I didn't get a chance to get a picture with The Rock. But um, afterwards, Booker T came. He said, yo, come over here, man. You killed it. You killed it. He said, boom. And see, now when he said it like that, he was he was more hyped than I was. Guess what? We walked right into that photo. I say, hey, Booker T, you don't mind, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so what what was it, as far as that that whole thing, like I gotta ask, what was your because I remember I remember watching it. I remember seeing you out there with the rock, you talking, you end up doing the spin of Rooney, which by the way, did you have to get taught to do that or did you just figure it out? That was the first time. It was first your first time. time you ever did the spin of Rooney. Wow. You did really good. One one hit wonder. I said, uh, wonder, I, I said I don't want to do it now because if, if I do it now, in front of uh, what's going to happen is if I don't do it right, I'm gonna I'm gonna choke up out there and then right. I got eighteen I got eighteen thousand out there and I and I said I perform better when I see all these people anyway and so it was like, boom. Oh, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah. It. and then so it was like yeah. And, and it popped uh, for it too. That was great. It popped, it popped. and um, and I, th I thought from right there that um, I was gonna uh, be called back, and but it was a uh, was a one night stand. Kim Dilla, who is a former member of Gore, also uh, wrestled at one time, and does wardrobe for many different wrestlers. Joined us on the show over the summer to talk about the Fiend Bray Wyatt. Here's how that went down. Bray Wyatt from WWE called me. Actually, was on tour with Guar and wanted me to make a vest for him. I think that was sort of the first person in WWE that started wearing our sort of post-apocalyptic style. And then it sort of set a trend in WWE. Like a lot of people started wearing that style, and we started dressing more and more as a WWE wrestlers. And then a lot of people in WWE kind of had their existing gear makers emulate our style, which I think is a huge compliment. <laughs> and um, that was the start of that. And now 50% of the stuff we do is wrestling and 50% is 
metal and rock, which is pretty cool. Wow, that that is pretty cool. And to start off with, like Bray Wyatt, who is a huge name in the in the in the business, even at that time, because he was, uh, you know, this this crazy entity that you know that we were just tapping into at the time. Um, did you when you started making these outfits and stuff? Like, was it more like did you see them? When did you see them like on television, or was it like more for house shows, or when did, when did you start seeing it going? Oh wow, like like they're wearing my stuff. Yeah, I mean, I kind of started from the top of this. It's not really something I aspired to do. It was not like I want to be a clothing designer and get my stuff on WWE. It's just um, my friend, like even with the rest of the rock stuff, uh, the first person to wear my jacket was Joey Jordison from Slipknot and then Rob Flynn from Machine Head. And I still had a real job at that time. And then Bray called about the vest, and all of a sudden I'm seeing pictures of my stuff on TV and the bands that are patches on his desk started, you know, <laughs> hitting me up about that. And it's pretty cool uh, to see your work and things that you made with your own two hands, like, displayed on that scale. And I feel honored. But at the same time, I've been working in that world for a long time. So I think the only band I would really, like, mark out for wearing my stuff would be Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> And for wrestling, I don't know, you know, like WWE, I got to go to WrestleMania the year that Bray and Randy Orton had um, one of the championship matches and to see, I dressed that entire match so to see my designs and creation in person on a stage that big at WrestleMania, that was kind of a markout moment. <laughs> that is pretty cool. And Randy Orton doesn't wear much. I mean, he's usually just a... Well, it's just, he has a jacket when it comes to the ring. I need pants for big men, though. I did have to do a Randy Trunk fitting. <laughs> he's a sweetheart, and he was really fun to work with. But working with him is like working with the person that's been wearing the same pair of Levi's jeans for 20 years. <laughs> and like, even if you bought the brand-new pair of Levi's jeans from the store and, like, put them on they were the same jeans like they wouldn't feel like your pair that you've been wearing for 20 years so Randy's just very comfortable with you know his trunks that he's had and his city thing and I think it was stepping out of his comfort zone to do something a bit wilder Who 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 shocked you? I, I guess from anybody that's you met that like says like oh I want to do this and you're like like maybe like more surprised you because like maybe you didn't think the style fit their personality maybe or maybe didn't initially fit their character but then once you did it you see like or you know it it, it all comes together. Like, is there anybody that really surprised you with some crazy idea? Oh man, that's a good question, and I just have to think about it for a minute. I think um, when people that don't normally wear trunks or tights switch from like the jeans kind of look to wearing trunks or tights, like we did just, I just went out to um, one of the TV tapings right before the pandemic hit to do a fitting on Eric Rowan, who unfortunately got released, but he's got lots of exciting stuff going on, so he'll be fine. <laughs> but um, he was like, make me some tights. I think I want to wear tights. He's never worn anything but baggy jeans because he's just a giant. And um, we tried tights on, and then he kind of decided, nope, tights aren't for me, <laughs> which I expected. But I, I can't imagine that guy in tights. Right? Yeah, I can't either. But, you know, we put it on. We had a good laugh about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's as far as it went. I don't know. Um, WWE tried to get me to do some crazy stuff with Bray. 
he and I usually just talk about his designs and his character. Like when he came up with the fiend gimmick, um, we were talking about that look and going back and forth with pictures for a long time. And um, that was hard to like keep secret. And he was working with his mask designer as well because I don't do the masks. And I was really happy with that result. But they tried to get me to do some crazy stuff with him. Like one time <laughs> they wanted me to make like a Sister Abigail dress or something that didn't go over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When the I fiend was that's... when the fiend was coming together, like what was like because obviously you can't like at the time say, well, this is what they're going to do. But like when he was telling you the idea, like, uh, you know, I mean, what, what were you like? What, what was the vision that they were telling you? Like what this character was going to be? Well, I mean, he kind of has that concept anyway, but it was just more solidifying it visually and getting away from the sort of post-apocalyptic look we've been doing for him because everyone's kind of doing that now. So it was like, okay, we need to clean lines. But it still has to be like you know, evil and disturbed. So we basically just went through a bunch of pictures of things that he'd found on the internet that he likes, steampunk looking stuff or things from the Matrix. So <laughs> well, I don't know. It was influences all over and came up with some sketches and those red striped pants, which was impossible to find red striped spandex. So I had to get that custom printed. <laughs> well, um, um, I don't know. Certain design processes, when you're coming up with an entirety, entirely new look for someone that's had another look, I find it's hard to break my thinking of, like, what that person has already done. So starting with this fresh creative palette of outside influences, I think is a good, good way to do that. <laughs> I had a chance to do a very long talk with Sergeant Slaughter, and here's highlights from that interview. You had a couple of uh, memorable moments in the 80s. One, kind of like the first hardcore match, if you will. Yeah. At Madison Square Garden. That, like, I mean, people still talk about that to this day because it was something that you didn't see at the time with blood and everything else. When you guys, when that match came together, I mean, did you expect it to go the way it went? With Pat, it was Pat Patterson, right? If I'm... Uh, yes, Pat Patterson. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Dave. Uh, might have to promote you to private first class. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we were, we were, uh, uh, I was doing a Cobra Clutch Challenge and, uh, I had $5,000 at that time, which was a lot of money back then, 1980. And, uh, I put that up for any wrestler that could break or anybody that could break the uh, Cobra Clutch. And so, uh, not, nobody could do it. And one night, Pat in Allentown, Pennsylvania decided he wanted to try it. And uh, long story short, we ended up in a big uh, feud. And uh, as you said, we ended up in uh, Madison Square Garden, 1981, I believe it was. And uh, we had a match called the Alley Fight. And uh, never, there has never, ever been an alley fight before. And there's never been one since. And uh, what it was is there was uh, you could wear whatever you wanted in the ring. There was no time limit. You could bring anything you wanted into the ring. And uh, the match was to go until somebody won. There was no time limit. And the big thing about it was there, there was no referee. So uh, we did all these promos and, and got ready for the night. And I got to Madison Square Garden and, 
warmed up and it was our time to go out to the ring in uh, Madison Square Garden. So as I was making my way to the squirt circle, I said to my manager, who I called uh, the general, that was uh, Ernie Roth, the Grand Wizard, I turned to to, uh, to Ernie and I, I said, Ernie, how does this match end? <laughs> and he looked at me and he, he, dropped, he always wore these little glasses and he took his glasses off and looked me eye to eye and he said, Sarge, I don't know. And I said, well, you know, there's, there's no time limit. There's no referee. Uh, how does it end? I, so we, I went out there, and Pat was already in the ring. And so as I got up to get on, into the ring, he, here he came. He, the match was on. And uh, I think it went for about 20 minutes, and it was just non, nonstop. I mean, it was brutal. And uh, uh, I always remember when he uh, he put this move on me called the catapult and uh, slung me uh, up, up, up over himself into the turnbuckle, but I went way too far over the turnbuckle and hit my head on the uh, ring post. And as soon as I felt the burn of that uh, gash, I could see the blood already on my, my arm, on my I could feel it on my face, and as I fell down into the uh, into the squirt circle onto the mat, I mean, blood was just coming everywhere. And the first thing I thought about was my wife, because she was on her way to New York City on an airplane <laughs> to bring me my birth certificate because Vince McMahon Sr., who was our boss at that time, wanted me to go to, go to Japan Thursday, that this was a Monday night match. Thursday, I was supposed to fly to Japan, and I had no birth certificate or no passport. So my wife was bringing me my birth certificate so I could get a passport in New York, New York City. And that, that's the first thing I thought about was how, how is she going to find me in New York City? Because, you know, it's a pretty big place for where we were from. And, uh, and that's, that's what, I think probably saved by my life. I'm not sure because uh, I, I I was bleeding pretty profusely, and the, you couldn't stop the match. There's no way to stop the match, and I didn't want it to stop. Once Pat got back on me, and I forgot about my wife, and got serious again, uh, we battled and battled, and uh, he knocked me out of the ring, and I kept trying to get back in and get back in, and all of a sudden. I see this towel go into the ring and I look back and here's Ernie Roth, the grand wizard, my general throwing a white towel in. And I went, no, no, <laughs> no, you know, cause I was, I was getting my second win and, uh, the bell rang and the people went uh, crazy, crazy as Pat Patterson said, they went bananas. <laughs> and, uh, it was just, uh, one of those matches that uh, is uh, one once in a lifetime. If you ever get an opportunity to, to watch the alley fight on uh, YouTube or uh, Google it or find a WWE 
DVD that might have it on there. Uh, it's well worth watching. Hope you enjoyed that episode, and uh, we, we, we have a lot of interviews we have in the vault we've done from previous years. If you want to check it out, we've had Drew McIntyre on the show, Big E, Seth Rollins, The Miz has been on a couple of times, Chris Jericho, Drew Carey. Yes, WWE Hall of Famer Drew Carey has been on the show as well. Uh, so you go to the vault, and uh, there's so much more that we didn't even mention. Uh, the founder of Glow Wrestling has even been on the show, too. So, so much uh, that we've uh, gone through throughout the last couple of years. So make sure you check out some previous episodes. And we appreciate you listening. And we got more to come in 2021. Again, you can follow us on social media, ESPR99, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, give us a follow. Give us a like. And uh, tell your friends about it. If you guys talk about wrestling, uh, you know, we, we got we have a lot of knowledge behind us. Sean and I, I've uh, either been a part of wrestling or been following wrestling. I gotta go back to the '80s, so uh, I've been doing this a long time. You can always email us ESPR at fm99.com, and uh, you can uh, look for us on our websites fm99.com and 1069thefox.com under the media tab. And not only that, uh, many major podcast apps. Uh, I know uh, we're on Spotify, Apple, TuneIn. Stitcher, SoundCloud, so many places you can find us. Just search ESPR Wrestling. And we'll pop right up and make sure you subscribe. I'm Dave Taylor. Thanks for joining us for this episode. 2021 is going to be great. And make sure, as always, to eat, sleep, podcast, and repeat. <laughs>